Hello, Bibliophores. My name is Ed Fortune, and you're listening to The Bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com in partnership with Starburst Magazine. And I'm here with Russ Smith. Hi there. Hello. So you can find out all about us on Starburst Magazine and their podcast family. You can also find out all about us on FabRadioInternational.com. But this is a bookshop. Bookshop. And we'll be talking about books. It's not a bookshop. We don't sell books. We are a book show. We do show books. It's radio, so we kind of just wave them at the microphone instead. Oh, we could have just had a moment of being Bernard and Manny. Just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean a moment of being Bernard and Manny? <laughs> have, have, you, have you seen the, the Bookworm Secret Book Club? We are, we are basically... Oh, my goodness. That, that also makes me Manny, doesn't it? I suddenly realised the hair and the fatness. Anywho. Who's Bernard? Choose oh, your yeah. answer carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on the show, uh, <laughs> um, I'll be um, I'll be reviewing Fire Children by Lauren Roy, and I'll be re- reviewing Coward, a criminal edition by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um, but that's after this break. <laughs> the world the real alternative fabradiointernational.com so we're going to talk quickly about books that are coming out soon that you will be able to enjoy these books are either out now or they'll be coming out very very soon let's start with the obvious we talked about this before actually Game of Scones, All Men Must Dine by Jeremy Lannister. <laughs> I've actually seen a preview of this. Um, it is exactly what you expect it to be. Don't expect um, like a detailed book full of food ideas. Is this from the same from the same oeuvre as the Sodit? Um, no, it's more. It's a cookbook. Oh, it is actually a cookbook. Oh. it's got cook, it's got books. In it. it's, a, it's got cooks in it. It's got recipes in it. Um, it's Let's a get phone because I've cooks in it. Yes, lots and lots of pictures of really well done. Um, you're eating a marshmallow. Yeah. Okay, that's a good video. Uh, I'm trying to think what kind of Game of Thrones related thing a marshmallow would turn up. It would be those. It would be those. Um, the, those people who who lead them out to the wilds. Those those marshmallow chaps. Mm. Anyway, that's getting that's getting because they're, they're they're like clearly meant to be halflings, but you just can't he can't call them halflings for some reason. News of books. News of, anyway, news of books. Um, so yes, so what it is because I've seen the preview of this is it's a whole bunch of photos of really cool, really well made, professionally made Game of Thrones themed cakes. So you know, a gingerbread man that's tiny that looks like Tyrion, or a red wedding velvet cake. Of this sort of thing, and they, they, there's one where they they do the actual like thrones itself using various food items. It's all very clever. The actual recipes themselves are like you know this is how you make gingerbread, this is how you make shortbread, this is how you make cake, and you're like, okay, so the recipes themselves aren't that useful. Cause but we've added. Puns. What are you saying? Gingerbread isn't that useful? What? What? No, what? Gingerbread's useful, but the recipe itself is just how to do basic gingerbread. I know how to make basic gingerbread. Well, not what? everybody does. 
what I want is how to get that icing that way and the tips on how to do his hair if I'm doing Tyrion. It doesn't do that because it's not, oh. it's not that sort of a boot. You want the Lakeland catalogue for that? Well, exactly. Do you um, also want Kyburn's take on what he would be able to do with a gingerbread golem? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want the called undead gingerbread man. The ginger dead man. No, 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 not at all. Um, but it's full of lots and lots of really nice pictures with stuff like Red Redding, Velvet Kate, Joffrey's Jeffers, um, <laughs> Jim and Cersei's family mess. <laughs> um, do not sit on the iron scorn. It will ruin your trousers. <laughs> Moving on uh, to something less complicated. Big explainer. Complicated stuff in simple words. Um, Randall Mun- Munro is known for XKCD um, Oh wow yeah I think I've seen a preview of this One of the things he did was he did Thing Explainer as a, as a strip essentially where he was trying to explain stuff in simple simple terms um, This book is essentially a science book just using the, the thousand words that we use every day So he explains microwaves A microwave becomes food heating radio box and bridges, Ping oven Ping oven Ping uh, oven and bridges, bridges get described as very tall walls. Um, so, yeah, it sounds quite fun. Uh, if you get the chance, I think you can link to it on XKCD. There's a, there's a version of David Bowie's Space Odyssey done with just a thousand basic words. Nice. So, well, um, given what I've seen of um, XKCD explaining really quite complex things in the, in the media of stick figures and humour, um, I'd, I'd have to recommend this on the spot. Um, there's also Dead Funny Encore. Now, Dead Funny last year was brilliant. Uh, Encore is more of the same. It's Robin Ince and Johnny Mains. If you don't know who Johnny Mains is and you're into horror, you, once you've finished listening to this show, you should Google Johnny Mains. He is a chap who is obsessed with the kind of that, those pan, pan books, book of horror style things. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the old fashioned kind of horror anthologies you used to get at Christmas. Yeah. Scare, scare, scare the pants off you over Christmas or over winter. Um, he's basically thoroughly researched anthology, horror anthologies, and he's really good at putting them together himself. Along with Robin Ince, um, Robin Ince has got a bunch of comedians together and they've written horror stories. Um, Encore is more of the same, basically, and it's a nice mix of silly and spooky stories. Have they worked with Mark Gattis at any point? Because they sound like natural. Um, I, have, I think the first one, maybe, mm-hmm. possibly, it's mm. that sort of a thing. But you should, you know, it's definitely worth a look. I'm looking for, I, I don't have the list of who's in Dead Funny Encore in front of me. Um, right. But I enjoyed the first one quite a lot. So, and that's coming out on Salt very soon. Um, mm. Let's see, what else do we have here? Well, should we talk about Carter and Lovecraft? <laughs> Let's. Um, so, his name is Carter. He's a cop <laughs> turned private detective who inherits a bookstore in Rhode Island. That's a lot of plot already. Suddenly, he realises by going through the stock that H.P. Lovecraft wasn't writing fiction and in fact. <laughs> It, in fact, was telling true stories of the Cthulhu mythos. He I team- know where this is going, and I really like it. Carry he on. teams up with H.P. Lovecraft's granddaughter. Together, they, they fight, fight crime. crime. <laughs> <laughs> and Cthulhu. Crime and Cthulhu, by the way, is that other Jane Austen novel that she never got to finish. <laughs> I was wondering about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's apparently already been optioned by one of us, because why wouldn't you? 
So, well, if they didn't, somebody would have done. We look forward to that TV series, and hopefully it'll be better than Lucifer. Um, what a waste! What a waste! How how to pass as human? I, oh, I've been looking forward to this. I need that. Um, oh no, it's a romance book. Oh, that's a pity. Um, how to pass a human? Human is a sci-fi love story about an android called Zero, aka Zach, who is trying to solve the mystery of his own creation with the the assistance of a human woman who seems very, very friendly. Called Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That sounds intriguing. It, 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 I'm not entirely... Oh, friendly! Right. Oh, yeah. a friendly, yes. It's, it's a comic book as well. It's from, from Dark Horse. I say comic book, it's a graphic novel. It's a crunch art, don't you know? It's a comic book, of course it is. Um, let's see what else. Discworld Atlas. Lots and lots of maps. Um, lots and lots of talking about um, the, the world... Yeah, because the world, this world will will no longer be expanded, so they can put together a final a, atlas. a complete and comprehensive atlas. Um, you you know what it is. You if you want it, you want it. So and that's being put that's um, put together from notes from Terry Pratchett um, and the Discworld Emporium. So um, that should be very interesting. Very uh, sad. It's very sad. Mm. Currently reading the World of Pooh at the moment, which is uh, another Terry Pratchett book. Oh. Which is actually a spin off from Snuff. Oh. Uh, it's a children's book about poop. <laughs> so, uh, and finally, Welcome to Night Vale. Ah. Oh. Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Crane are. Um, we're expecting they actually get a copy of this at some point, and it'll probably just turn up in black helicopter and we'll just deliver it and smoke at our door. It may well already be here. It might be here. It's <laughs> only a bit surely coalescing from the shadows. Um. Yeah, so they've done a book. If you don't know what the Welcome to Night Vale podcast is, you can you can Google it again and find out. I more. got whilst I've been hearing this name an awful lot. I got introduced properly a couple of weeks ago with a couple of episodes. Yeah, I can see what the fuss is about. It, it's deliciously creepy. It really is, and very cleverly done. But um, they they always wanted to do books, and that's the book. So mm. we, so it's been quite a completely fantastic um, preview, to be honest. Ignoring the scones, of course. Uh, well, scones. scones. He who sits on the iron scone will need to change his trousers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so coming up next. See, a scone made out of iron would actually be really nasty, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be able to chew on that at all. Unless you were the iron chicken. Hmm. <laughs> we might be overthinking this. We probably are. Mm. Maybe the iron chicken makes iron scones. Anywho, Maybe. Should I, should I do a bit of We should do some adverts first. So, with the, the ominous tones of that music, um, I have The Fire Ch- Children by Lauren Roy in my hands. So, it's a book aimed at a younger audience, um, which is actually quite a gem in a pile of gritty, realistic fantasy novels where they slug through mud and you know everyone gets murdered and everyone has their own agenda. And uh, You know what, it's lovely and it, 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 it was fresh and new ten years ago and now we're just like, oh, why is there so much blood? Why won't they stop crying? 
the fire children is nothing like that the fire children is aimed at young, a younger audience as I say it's also a folksy tale uh, based around ancient myths so it's, it feels it has the feel to it of a story that um, you know you would be told by your grandfather and then when you became a grandfather you would tell the story and you'd expect you know generations to pass these sort of stories along and it's it's not written in that folksy way, but it's got that folksy vibe simply because of the nature of the story. So, uh, Eula is a young lady, and she was born during an equinox. There was an equinox every 15 years in this place, um, and during the equinox, the fire children visit. What this means for the villagers is it means that they all go underground as the sun comes. It all goes dark, and these burning creatures which you must not look at because their touch will burn you and destroy you if you get too close to them um, the, these, these burning burning creatures will arrive so they all you know they run to the caverns and there's this wonderful setup at the start where they 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 take all the, the crafts people and all the people who work there because it's a kind of it's a special thing they've been spending their time making delicious sweets and, and making rations essentially uh, and things to to celebrate, and having you know the specifically ritualized wines that they have, and ritualized foods that they have while they're hiding underground. So they have. So a, they've kind of made a festival out of it. Oh, it's totally a festival because what they also do is they also they leave furniture up there. So they take down, they take all the stuff that is combustible uh, into the, into the caverns with them. They store all of that carefully away. All the stuff that's really nice, you know, your, your, your grandfather's grandfather, great great grandfather's wooden statue that he made. Well, that's going to explode as soon as the fire children touch it. So yeah, you, you take that down to the, the caverns with you. But you 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 commission um, from from a local woodcarver a similar statue. You know, which is not the same quality. It's made out of uh, cheaper wood. Yeah, burn this cheap thing. I hope it's going to be okay. Yeah, but there's like you know, very burning. And then there's like plaster table. There's basically really thin tables, like plasterers' tables, that they have that they put the food out on the cheaper plates, the cheaper cutlery, and they they leave offerings out for the fire children, so the fire children can can turn up and have a party. Do you know what this reminds me of? Futurama's take on Christmas. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying here. Like run and hide, run and hide. The darkness is definitely coming. Um, but yes, run and hide, run and hide. The darkness is definitely coming. It's that sort of you know. It's but is you know these, these these kind of people who are on fire. Obviously, there wouldn't be much of a book if it was just that. Things go a bit wrong. Yule is a curious sort of girl and uh, goes and takes a look for herself. Short vision. She decides you know somebody has to. Well, she thinks there's a rabbit away. You know, she gets lost in the darkness because there is no light in them. They, they, they're not that advanced society, and they don't have much in the way of. Obviously, if you have too many lamps, you're going to burn the, you know, you're going to burn oxygen and all the rest of it. So they don't really have much illumination. So people just navigate in the dark. Yeah. Um, and she gets lost the first time, and there's a bit of a search party looking for her. And you know, she's a bit of a precocious child anyway. She's like 15, so you know, she's running around trying to explore the world. Then of course she's fifteen because she was born during the equinox. And uh-huh. the um, and then you see, see that the, the the society has uh, the sea witches. Now it turns out as the world kind of expands, and this is one of the thing that Roy does is she 
um, explains the world in a very casual way. There's no exposition dumps. Just, you know, people are like, oh, well, yes, obviously they're sea witches. Oh, right, okay, blah, blah, blah. And then so surely it expands the world in, like, normal conversation very well. There's very little exposition. And it just makes the world feel much more natural that she does it that way. She's, there's not much in the way of info dumps. So you're like, well, what on earth is this? And it does explain it in the course of, you know, in due time. Right. Um, so what we understand is that the sun got too close to the sea, so the sea left. Okay. Because the sea wasn't very happy. It went off in a huff, basically. Yeah, a ver- really steamy huff, I imagine. A really steamy huff. <laughs> so, so there's a whole thing, and you know the the whole relationship. There's a whole thing going on there. Um, because as it turns out, firstly, this is a world where magic really is real. The witch's magic is not just trickery. Because at first she's just like, what if it's all a con? What if this is just a cunning thing where the sea witches make everyone run down for uh, 15 years, everyone runs down and it's get a lot Which is a reasonable question if you haven't seen anything and you're just doing that, you know. Yeah, it's not a con. There's something worse going on. There's, oh. a, there's, a, there's a horrendous conspiracy going on and, uh, and she suddenly finds herself on the wrong side of the world. Essentially, she should yeah. be under it. She is, in fact, over it. And there are these creatures who are on the fire. Living, I know there's stuff going on. I probably need to do something about it now. And here's the thing: the the people who are on fire they don't have to be on fire all the time. They can they can turn it down. Ah. And you know what happens when the 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 young one of the young boys, a uh, young Ember, turns down his flame so he's not always on fire. He goes flame off. He goes flame off, and he's a uh, Really young, dark-skinned boy. Mm. He's quite pretty. Oh, uh, yeah, I know where this is pretty. going. Yeah, well, there you go. Sparks fly. Yeah, sparks fly indeed. No, anyway, this is aimed at younger readers, so you know, <clears throat> a certain level of sparkage occurs, but not <laughs> too much. Um, it's a very, it's a very gentle read. It's a very gentle book. There is action; it does happen, but it's got a gentle flow to it. Um, it's slow, it's steadily paced. It's a slow burner. It is literally a slow burner. <laughs> um, but at the, same, at the same level, it's good. You know, you keep wanting to know more because of the way that she piecemeals out the information and you you kind of want to know what's happening. And, and I love the fact that the characters keep going, well, this is the plan. Uh, oh, no, this is the plan. Um, okay, this has to be the plan because we've run out of plans. Is this after plans go horribly wrong? Yeah. As a general rule, and you sometimes you sit there and go, "That's just not going to work." That's totally. Oh no, it's not worked. <laughs> there you go, because the the author's gone. This character's fifteen. She's not, not at, some sort of um, yeah mastermind of any sort. Things yeah. have to go wrong. She, she hasn't spontaneously generated the ability to to plan well or to plan ahead. So yeah, things go a bit 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 pear shaped. Hmm. Um, so is it any good? Yes, I enjoyed it immensely. Actually, uh, it's a nice piece of fantasy fiction. If again, if you are an older reader, um, do not make the mistake of judging it by the standards of book aimed at older audiences. This is a, a new and fresh read. Um, so yes, there's things that you'll find familiar there, but there's also things that you'll find new and novel there, and it might actually be a useful way of breaking your reading habits. If you're sick of something that you know, reads the same way and you've been reading the same sort of thing for a while, this won't take up too much of your time and might send you in a new direction. So um, yeah, so it's called Under Fire Children. It's by Lauren Roy, and it's available on Ravenstone. Thank you.
across the world. 24 hours a day. This is Fat Radio International. This is Fab Radio International. Richard Morgan, welcome back to The Big One. Thank you very much. We understand your latest project is an interactive game book. Can you tell us more about it? My, well, my latest project, that um, if you're talking about the, uh, the Narborian project, uh, it's basically a collaboration in which uh, the, the trilogy Land Fit for Heroes gets used as the basis for uh, one of these. Uh, it's the, the template is the old fighting fantasy uh, novels from the, from the 80s. It's getting used, in this case, for a tablet-based game. Um, basically, it's a um, text-based game with uh, mini-games included and various other branching choices and so forth, um, basically aiming to bring, bring that fighting fantasy dynamic into the 21st century and, and, uh, and create a sort of a, um, a shifting, uh, a constantly shifting, in some cases, uh, narrative technique. But again, text-based, so you're still you're getting the people who, who like reading as a, as a form of proceeding. Uh, but with branching narratives, choices to make, uh, alternative endings, and, and say mini games to to decide how you fare in the various encounters along the way. Why is fighting fantasy so popular again? Well, I'm not. Uh, the problem is that I say so this is not an area I'm an expert in. I, I didn't actually read the fighting fantasy stuff back in the 80s. And um, although you know I've sat down with the Arborian guys and I'm casting the role of showrunner really, so my job is to, to make sure that the sort of the, the fictionscape and the continuity works. Um, so, but I am you know as far as the mechanics of the of the thing itself goes, I've had a look at some of the, the flow diagrams and so forth. But it's not you know it's not my area of expertise. Um, these guys are very you know very sharp at it and uh, have been sort of whacking um, flow charts back and forth of the, of the narratives. I sat down with um, a guy called Dennis Chazar. Um, are, I think you pronounce it, um, and we we worked out three narrative strands for the three characters that uh, we're creating for this. Um, but aside, as of then, I kind of hand it on to them, and it's it's very much in their in, in their court then, because uh, as I say, this is not an area I'm an expert in at all. So, what is the challenge that you face in the Noborian project? Oh right, well, for, it's it's like I said. For me, it, the, the, there's not really an issue of difference because, like I said, I'm my my job really as as showrunner has just been to come up or to to help come up with the narratives. As to the actual writing itself, the scripting of it, that's something that's being done by their on on board writers who are sort of you know skilled in this and have done the Narborian stuff before. Um, but from a point of view of, of you know overall um, narrative creation. It's not so different to, to any other kind of storytelling I've done, really. Um, obviously, you've got to lay the plans a lot more carefully than I would tend to if I was writing a novel, um, because we've got to have a clear overview. You've got to have a top-down view when you construct these things. Um, and what we did a lot of a lot of um, a lot of time, what we were doing was backing up to make sure that there's enough player choice going on, because obviously you, you can't have just a flat narrative; uh, otherwise, it, it, you know, it ceases to be a game, really. So the main thing was to try and introduce enough complications. In 
things in the narrative that the player has to make choices, and those choices are significant in terms of how the how the narrative develops later on in the story. Um, so I guess yeah, I mean there's a more of a, a, a kind of a, a blueprint blueprint type approach, which again similar to the way that when I was working scripting um, uh, some of the games that I consulted on, where you've you've got to have an overview. I mean I, I tend to when I'm writing a novel, I tend to create it more or less. As I'm going along, I have a very rough sense of where the narrative is going, but I don't worry too much about that. And obviously, with something like this, as with with a game, you you've got to be you have to know you've got to have the whole thing in a box, otherwise you can't map it out properly. So it's a lot more deliberate in that sense, a lot more um, yeah, template based, a lot more like put, drawing up the plans for, for constructing a building or something. Don't you lose nuance in this sort of thing? Well, I would hope. I would hope that you know, not. I mean, I, one of the things, obviously, is brevity. You, you, you can't. My prose tends to. I, I mean, I. I it's quite. Um, as anyone who knows read my books will will um, will probably agree that there's quite a lot stuffed into my prose. And I mean, the narrative narrative in these things obviously has to be a bit more headlong than that because you've got to pick up the beat of the of the, the gameplay. Um, but I would hope that, as I say, in terms of characterization, in terms of the themes that arose in the trilogy, I would hope that those were all being carried on pretty much to the same level of intensity. And obviously, in terms of investing yourself in the character that you're playing, you, you've also got the thing that you're making the decisions that that for that character, and you're then living through the consequences of those decisions, which is clearly something that the prose novel can't offer. Uh, so there's a sort of melding of you you're invested in the character to the extent that what you choose to do really does have an impact on on, on where that character goes and what happens to them. Um, so that's a trick, obviously, that, that belongs to gaming. It's not something that the novel can ever really approach, I don't think. What's next? Well, I'm going to say this. This this is say at the moment the they're putting together a book based on the Steel Remains. Uh, we then proceed to the next book, the Cold Commands, and that forms the backdrop for another book, and and so on through the trilogy. So that's running. You know, as I said, I'm showrunner for this. I'm not, so that while the, the writing is getting done by the experts, and I'm my job is to sort of ride herd on it and to to sort of say no, actually that doesn't. You know, you we can't do this because that's that's not a factor in the world as it stands. So we have to sort of delineate that, and also. To to some extent, the, the the level of the narrative, the kind of, the, as I said, there are obviously there are very mature themes in in Manfred for Heroes, which don't crop up in a lot of other fantasy, a lot of more pastel shaded fantasy. To that extent, this is going to be a lot darker, um, a lot more adult, for want of a better phrase, than than say the Arborian saga was. Um, and I say that part of my job as showrunner is, is obviously to sit on that as well and to say, um, well, no, you know, you this this is a dark and unpleasant thing that's going on, and we have to follow through with the consequences of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's 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 really the um, my concern is to, I obviously have to to ride herd on all those things. But in the meantime, um, also I've got another uh, a new science fiction novel on the on the uh, box, and uh, hoping to wrap that up sometime later this year. Uh, it's called Thin Air, and uh, it's it's set in the same universe as the, the, uh, the novel Black Man, but it's set on Mars instead of on Earth, and we've moved forward a bit in time, so the economy uh, is, is further forward, and things are things are more settled there in the sense that it's no longer really a colony just clinging to existence. It's actually got a life of its own, a political dimension to to the way things are run. Uh, so that's a kind of Mars Noir, if you like. I'm returning to my roots, I guess. And after that? 
Well, I, I think, I mean, I'm, you know, for me, it's, um, I'm, I'm all about um, fresh things, you know, fresh challenges, uh, going places, to different places and so forth. It's one of the things that drove me into game writing in the first place. Um, so for me, it's, I'm, I'm interested to see how this comes out, you know, how it plays out in the, um, the, the game, the, uh, this game book. And, you know, if it takes off, then sure, yes, it would be fun to, uh, to take something else through. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the Kovacs novels are under option for a movie, so that, they're, they're out of reach at the moment. Um, Black Man is also under option for a movie. Um, so, you know, I guess there's still market forces, there's potential in that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, the other thing is, obviously, if, if, this, if this turns out very popular, then it may be that we'll, we'll go for a, a revisit and, you know, maybe some further stories set in that in the Lancet for Heroes universe. Um, one of the nice things about this, for me, has been that I've been able to sit, sit down with, with um, the Narborian guys and just explore the, the sort of the untouched corners of the world that I've put together for the trilogy. I tend to create that uh, world building for me is very much something that's done on the fly. You, you kind of you throw in whatever elements you need to, to, to make the narrative work as it goes along. And then obviously you've got to sort of pick the bones out of that later, make sure that you have a whole that, that's coherent. Um, and so it's been quite fun to you know, sit down and say, right, well, we'll tell a story that takes place in this area where the narrative in the books never went. Uh, so it, it's a place that gets mentioned and we have some vague sense of what it's like from, from just offhand comments by the characters. Uh, so let's go there. Let's let's you know. Let's actually plumb that in depth and see what it's really like and so forth. And that's been a lot of fun because, I say, counter to a lot of other fantasy work where you've got your, your immensely detailed maps and your dramatist personae and your, your sort of chapter and verse. There, there really isn't any of that for Lancet for Heroes. It's, it's, there is a structure there, but it's very thinly covered because it was only the only bits that have really been given any detail and color have been the ones that have followed the narrative. So this has been a lot of fun. And I mean, if it goes well and it, you know, it finds its um, audience and there's a fan base that they really want more, then it will be fun to go back into that universe and go, right, okay, where else haven't we been? Uh, what other elements of this world could we explore? And sure, then, you know, follow follow that where it goes so for me it's all about challenges all about doing something fresh and i say this this the whole concept of game books on tablets with with the mini game thing is a sort of fusion of of the fighting fantasy with with modern gaming techniques for me that's very very interesting i, I think you know it's, it's one branch of, of where reading seems to be going you know with the, in the tablet era um, so I'm, you know, whatever, you know, it's, <laughs> let's hope it, it has the wings, and if it does have the wings, then we'll maybe follow it um, further on. Richard Morgan, thank you very much for your time. This is Fab Radio International. Coward! No, I'm not calling you a coward. This is the, the thing I'm actually going to be uh, reviewing today. It's a uh, it's part of the Criminal series. Uh, it's done by uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um, it's not it, it's not exactly new. It was a thing I got um, quite intrigued about a while ago because you see I'm uh, quite a big fan of Ed Brubaker's work now. Uh, you'll probably most uh, most recently have heard from, I've heard of him from his work on the Marvel movies, in, in, including uh, Winter Soldier, which brings me nicely into how I'd heard of him in the first place. I was uh, a few few years back was uh, rather uh, was uh, slightly unenthused about um, 
reading any uh, reading any Captain America. And one of my friends just uh, dumped me the win- uh, dumped the Winter Soldier graphic novel series down on uh, uh, down in front of me and said, "Read that. You'll like that." So I went away. I thoroughly loved it and have been uh, running around looking for Brew Baker stuff since. So uh, since uh, so. Uh, after that, read the excellent Sleeper series. I might uh, come back to that on a later show, and of and uh, most recently Velvet. But this coward is part of a uh, part of a, ser- a series of uh, criminals who are the stories are I understand interconnected by the city and may may intersect here and there but they are uh, but they are effectively standalones this one is uh, centered around a chap called leo who isn't your uh, who, who isn't your standard thug by any means uh, he, what he is is an excellent excellent planner um but he has rules uh, he has a he he has a uh, very stringent um, code that he sticks to. It's not a code of honor. Far from it. He's just got rules. He's gonna is gonna stick by, and refuse to do a job otherwise. Why? Because anything else, something is uh, anything that goes against this, he knows automatically something's gonna go wrong, and he, he he won't go anywhere near it. He keeps himself clean for for a reason same way as you um uh, same way as you probably remember the um transporter did initially and of course it's when he's uh, it, uh, of course it's uh, when frank martin started having to uh, break his own rules on a job that's when it started to go wrong guess what <laughs> similar deal here long no, leo will quite early uh, quite early on he gets uh, he gets approached to uh, do a quite fiddly uh, to do a quite fiddly sounding job, and he runs it through. And you, it's it's a wonderful it, it, it's a wonderful intro to um, uh, to him because you can very much see he he knows the um, he knows the people he's dealing with. They know him. They know him really well. A fellow called uh, fellow called Seymour is, sets the whole thing up. Knows him well enough to know that he. Uh, knows him well enough to know that he won't take the job initially, but knows him well enough to know that he will take the job eventually. So, <laughs> um, that uh, so, so that's where we come in, uh, because a fellow like Leo has complications in his life. There's a reason he uh, there's a reason he operates the um, with the uh, with the stringent rules he has. You you know some you know in the past something has gone uh, something has gone exceptionally wrong with him and you take you from there. In fact, <coughs> without giving to uh, w- without giving um anything away because it's quite uh, because it is actually right at the end that you <laughs> that 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 you realize what has gone um exactly what has gone wrong with him and it becomes um it 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 it, it becomes the uh, the conclusion itself in the meanwhile however you just see uh, uh, you you just see him escalate into <laughs> into the main into the main heist so broken damaged people doing broken damaged things yeah absolutely it's um it's not a cheerf- it, it's not a cheerful read I'll 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 tell you that now. I'll tell you that straight off if you want if you if you want a nice humorous comic book adventure this this ain't it. But if you if you want to see if if you want to see something which isn't a um it, it's not a 
a standard uh, heist story, and certainly doesn't have the uh, certainly doesn't have the usual crew running around with it. This is a great place to come in. Uh, yeah, I mean, the reason of uh, the, the reason it's named Coward is because actually this is a this is a heavy level of um, derision that um, Leo gets from his peers because he just will, he will just always wander away from trouble. He'll keep himself. He will look after himself um, as uh, as a as a priority. This is uh, this is what he does. Uh, this. Actually leans over to a, uh, this actually leans over to a relationship uh, to a broken relationship he used to have as well because it all it, it all feeds into that he'll he'll walk before he'll uh, but before he'll wade into uh, wade into trouble but actually um, as, as much as this sounds like somebody's getting away from a, a story in, in his case trouble is gonna uh, trouble is going to follow him around and of course. Like I said, he does end up having to break his own rules at some point. So no matter how far he run, runs, trouble will find him. Absolutely. Are you about to break mm. into song there? No, uh, I rarely do that. Ah. I wish we could all, unless I'm in a musical, of course, which I'm not right. Um, yeah, it's just full of it, 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 yeah, it's, it's full of various harsh, harsh decisions. It's not a um, and even even with Leo's genius planning skills, this still factors so far out of his hands that it just gets messy at times so is it more true crime drama than anything else? very very much so this is um this is this is kind of the line on it i mean um the artwork bro- looks quite dark yeah is it, is it that is it one of those deliberate tonal things where the artwork is kind of grubby and dark it's good but it's grubby and it's dark i think so very much I, I think very much so there is there's there's a noir element to it as well. So who's the other? Uh Sean Phillips, I believe. Oh, of course, it's Sean Phillips. If you if you're going to go for 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 Grubby Dark, he did a, an excellent run on uh, Hellblazer many years ago, hmm. and um, the Hellblazer storyline was. I mean, Hellblazer is fairly dark anyway, but the Hellblazer storyline was all about um, cults, and madness, and the descent from sanity. And you know, one of the things he did, two of the things he does really well is he does cityscapes and grime. And he also does the look of dis- despair on people's faces. Uh, it's one of the things I think. I, one of the games I have a comic script writers will do if they know the artist is they'll be like, you know, the character looks questioningly to see <laughs> to see how they just just because they know that the artist will discern their time in the mirror going. See, they're trying to pull the face. Yeah, trying, trying to pull the face. That was great radio there, but all very expensive. Um, so yes, so is it good? Oh, it's really good. It's I'd say. Just not um, not the story I was expecting, and I was, you know I picked up um, I, I picked it up wondering how how um, a story with a uh, which appeared to have the premise of the main character just running away from uh, running away from any grief he um, meets into would work, but no, it works it, it works brilliantly. I say there's things you just end up not being able to run away from, and this really does. Uh, uh, this this follows through for the uh, th- this follows through for the entirety and the end is like whoa and is it the start of a series um there's uh, there are a series uh, there are a series of books but not with, but you won't be following leo's story i think um i i believe the um, main interconnecting point is one of the bars that they go into but all, all of the um all of the rest of the stories are again um one are are, are again 
uh, one word themes and are based around other uh, and are based around other characters so you can read any of them as uh, as a standalone but there will be some intersection and who's it by and what's it on uh, it's Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips and it's Titan Books So it seems that the theme of today's show is deception. Obviously, we didn't tell you at the start of the show because you wouldn't have believed us. See, I think that's clever. I like what you did there. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting the stink eye from producer Al. She's like, hmm, not sure about that one. But, um, yes. So, I mean, the the fire fire children, uh, the baddies, the peaceful liars. Um... But the main character, this is it, the main character could well be a liar. She could just be a crazy person just telling you this crazy tale. It's one of the things I love about kind of... I didn't ask, is it a first first person perspective story? No. Hmm. Um, No, not really. Okay. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I suspect it it would work that way, but I can see why she didn't go in that general direction because it would be a little bit too personal or too... Sure. Too much. So you've got me thinking now. I'm like, is it a first person perspective story? I don't think it is. But um, there's a problem with first person perspective stories as well as the perspective does tend to shift uncomfortably around its point as yeah. well. So, but um, yes. Um, whereas Criminal is seemingly definitely about deception and lies. Yeah, very much so. The uh, 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 right down to uh, right down to the premise of um, so this uh, so this really um, so this supposedly straightforward job you've given me. Not straightforward at all. Oh no, it really isn't. Why did I sign up for this again? And um, and and yeah, the the uh, central character Leo is um, well, kind of lying to us for uh, quite a lot of the story, but in a really good way. I see, I quite like that, and I quite like it when I quite the, the two types are when the central character is fibbing to you, mm. and you know you realise that actually. Uh, the, that's not the case at all. So, for example, um, use of weapons by Ian M. Banks is a fantastic example of the main character lying to you. He's lying to you all the way through. It's not a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Don't write it. It's not a spoiler. It if you've not read the book, you'll be like, that's a spoiler if you've read the book. You'll be I like, need to read it again, spoiler. actually. Is it? It's not a spoiler. Whereas, because um, you know, he's clearly crazy and he's clearly got his own agenda, and you're like, well, what are you not telling us? Oh, goodness. Uh-huh. Um, and then you've got stuff where again Ian M. Banks Wasp Factory the author's not telling you something um, Unreliable Narrator uh, Unreliable hmm. Narrator uh, which is almost the name of the show um, Unreliable Narrator the name uh, of a good pub as well it uh, should be it'd be yeah, a great pub tell you what shall we shall we shall set we up a bar called the Unreliable Narrator bar called the unreli- Unreliable Narrator yeah we can totally do that would anyone actually ever book anything the, um, um, <laughs> You'd have to have a really good booking system, wouldn't you, just to compensate? Yeah, really good booking system, really reliable, always open, always kind of there, but like it says, unreliable on there. 
Oh, I'd have a story night every night, uh, every every couple of nights, I think. Yeah, actually, you change the story behind the bar like once a week as well. <laughs> so it's like the bar was form- formed, and, and you know you have those little stories about where it's like um, Cheers, isn't it? Established eighteen whatever or, s- or something, and it turns out he just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> Established eighteen sixteen, by which we mean quarter past six. six. <laughs> well, in Leo's case as well, he's actually. Uh, in all honesty, lying to himself for uh, for a good chunk of it, which is again part of the fun. I don't want to tell you any. Uh, I really don't want to tell you any more than that. Cause There's also the thing with um, uh, Katie Davis's breed is a good example of a book where the the, the uh, narrator's not so much unreliable as unpredictable. Yeah, but the <laughs> the the, the, author, the author's not tell the author is deliberately not telling you key things about the character. Because at no point does the character look down. Breed doesn't know what Breed's going to do half the time. <laughs> and I kind of I like that as a as a um, as an approach. It makes Breed spends a lot of the time going. Oh, I, I really should gut you right now, but uh, for some reason I'm not going to. Oh, all right, this is kind of a mistake. But I kind of for me that reads good crime drama. I, I like crime fiction. Um, I like crime fiction even more when it's actually from the perspective of a criminal. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that makes Sarah Pembroke's Murder and Mayhem books so much fun. Right. Um, because um, that's about Jack the Ripper and also supernatural entities. And that supernatural element makes certain key characters really unreliable. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're skipping past the, the most unreliable narrator of all, of course, is Fitzgerald from the Robin Hood books. Because my goodness, does he just he gets the story wrong? <laughs> basically, <laughs> yeah, like you read it and you're like, "What? No, that's awful." Oh no, hang on. Who's telling me the story? It's Fitz. <laughs> Fitz, it's not that bad. You misery. Um, there's, there's a bit where he's talking about himself as an old man, and you realise he's like only in his twenties. You're like, "Oh, goodness, I say." Oh dear, you, you miserable kid. This apparently, this apparently ruined my abilities. No, it didn't. Didn't really. You could still do these amazing things. You know how uh, fits. Or well, to a certain point of view, Quoth uh, as well from um, the King Keller Chronicles. Mm. I'm I'm one. I'm still wondering at the moment how much of uh, just just exactly how much wool is he pulling over our eyes. All of the Warhammer Forty K series is unreliable narrator. It's one of the things that makes me a little bit sad about Forty K. Is on the one hand. Um, the, there's some some people desperately want to kind of show up the canon because it's a series that appeals to a certain sort of person, which is you know people who like military science fiction and people who like making toy soldiers, and that sort of mindset does tend to go towards the more ordered. So people like the canon and they you know they like their 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 kind of you know this is how it happened, hmm. but I much prefer the stories that clearly that character is fibbing or you know the, the, all the aliens are evil maybe they're not maybe just all the people in the Warhammer this, you, this is how I survived getting off the planet I hid I, I hid under a table for the entire thing while the ultramarines were going yes. <laughs> shooting all the, everything into sight all the aliens are horrible or maybe you're a horrendous xenophobe we'll never know because it's, you know hmm. the, 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 the view of the world is that way the Kyphus Kane books do that quite well quite like the way Kyphus Kane does do the 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 unreliable narrator side of things, but uh, yes. And again, um, 
than, than the Flashman books again uh, <laughs> another fantastic uh, uh, not so again not so much unreliable as, as bloody dangerous uh, as a narrator but uh, yes uh, hmm. I, ha, have we have we hit upon a theme there producer Al? maybe you can talk for a couple more minutes if you want I think perhaps we should talk about social media so we're on social media yes we yes. are which we've not mentioned at all we can be found on um, fabradiointernational.com. You can also be found on Starburst Magazine. If you are on iTunes and you're listening to the show and you quite like it, please, 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 extra please, to the power of please, um, go on to iTunes and make a comment about us. If you've gotten this far into the show without <laughs> turning it off, you might as well say, I got this far into the show without turning it off. Uh, please do that. It really does help us out. Um, pop up with the iTunes. Just give us a star rating. It'll it'll make you faff around and subscribe. But it's really useful if you do that. Yeah, for a start, you could tell us where you know we missed an opportunity for some more fire puns. That's true. Uh, not many fire puns, and also not many bo- not not many Game of Thrones food puns either. I but think uh, they're all in the book. The um, there is, I, th- I don't think it's alone in being a um, Game of Thrones cookbook by any means. I'm sure there's, um, I'm sure there's a couple of others around. They are. There are a few. Already. Perhaps not with so many puns, but they're, they're out there. You could have, you could have a shelf dedicated. To this. Have I imagined some sort of Discworld cookery book? Have I imagined that? Absolutely, pals of them. There's a Nanny Og. Nanny Og is the one I'm thinking of. Because they had, a, they had someone who. The author just happened to be a large buxom lady of a certain age, and she was wandering around doing signings as Nanny Og. It was just kind of surreal. So I now want to see photos of bookshelves where people have got cook uh, have got shelves of cookbooks, but nothing but fantasy cookbooks that are inspired by various sci-fi and fantasy series. If you have such a cookbook, you can uh, get it to us via our our Twitter account, which is uh, Video Bookworm. You can also get it to us via our um, Facebook account, which is Radio Bookworm, and you can also tumble us on Tumble via Tumblr via Radio Bookworm. To be, technically, to be technically correct, our Facebook is Starburst the Bookworm Radio Show. Yes, because because for some reason uh, Facebook's unique algorithm does not like the word podcast. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, or, or, or people started being able to actually see the show. Wow, that's astounding. As we got rid of the uh. podcast, which is why it says radio show. But it's still slash radio program on the Facebooks. It is, it is. If you do the, if you do the, the, the URL thing. You are allowed to type in radio program and it will eventually turn up. But um, you can just at us, at us on Twitter. Oh, we could do our own cookbook, Radio Cookworm. It'd be brilliant. <gasps> radio Cookworm? Yes! Well, at some what point, would we make? Nymph would be in charge of that because Nymph is a really good cook. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Dell would be in charge of the cocktails. This has got to be a thing. We're going to have to do this thing. We're going to have to do it. We're doing a charity cookbook. We're doing a oh, charity cookbook. No. Right. No. Maybe at some point, perhaps in the future. So, on and on that bombshell, <laughs> a monster was born. <laughs> Yeah.
So that's been the Programme in association with FairFreedomInternational.com and Starburst Magazine. I have been your host, Ed Fortune. And I have been Russ Smith. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Produced, as I presented by Russell Smith and Ed Fortune. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>